I'm Wadi Karfazi. Welcome to The Spark, a podcast that I host with my friend Félix Desrochers on personal finances and politics. Today's episode is the continuation of our discussion with Professor Faisal Rabi, who is an economic teacher in Champlain Cégep and Concordia University. I hope you enjoyed this episode. When we want to invest money and grow our wealth, it's basically the exponential growth of our investment against the exponential growth of inflation that's in play, right? That is the important thing. Yeah, when you are saving money or investing money somewhere, your money is growing at 10% rate per year. But at the same time, if inflation is also growing at 10% rate, then in the long run, you are not gaining anything. Does it make sense? You're not losing anything either. So that's a good mm-hmm. thing. But uh, what investors um, try to do is beat the inflation. So they try to grow their uh, wealth at a rate which is faster than the inflation rate. However, there are lots of nitty gritty details here. One detail is that the way governments tell us the story of inflation has some level of deception, in my opinion, because, as I told you, the government is telling us that, oh, we have 5% inflation, which means price of consumption goods are increasing at 5%. What are consumption goods? Cost of food, cost of uh, rental, uh, cost of fuel, etc., etc. They never tell us at what rate house price is increasing. They never tell us at what price uh, rate stocks are increasing, commodities are increasing. So now we are living in a world where government is keeping on telling us that, oh, okay, we just had 5% inflation, so we can keep on printing money, no problem. But if you have a dream of owning a house, it is super difficult because home prices, if you look at some big cities in USA and Canada, in the past two years, the inflation rate of home prices, inflation rate in some other asset prices, they have been way more than 5%. They have been 20% per year in some places, in some big cities. Now, this, I think, is a really, really dangerous situation because what the system is now doing, for good or for bad, system is doing whatever it needs to. The consequences of this is more polarization in terms of wealth gap. Mm -hmm. More wealth gap will create more social unrest. And it, it especially affects youth like us because we're the next generation. So we're the one who are going to mostly buy homes. And if we can't, you know, even know what's the inflation rate of these homes. Or... And actually, when you ask me, what are the reasons why your generation should be aware of some basic financial matters? Um, this was one of my answers when I was going to uh, give you the micro reason that um For the next 15 to 20 years, from my uh, reading and uh, listening to some um, hedge fund managers, investors, and academicians, what I understand now uh, with my little knowledge is that the next 15 to 20 years is going to go through some roller coaster rise in, in terms of occasional high inflation and then occasional depression or 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 disinflation. Mm -hmm. The reason behind that um, are that there are some forces in our system, such as the technology, 
such as the huge amount of debt that will sometimes uh, create defaults and sometimes uh, some political um, disagreements between the right and the left. What will happen is sometimes they will have to stop this ongoing stimulation. You might have, uh, if you follow the news, you might have already heard that uh, the central banks of US and Canada are already talking about increasing interest rates. Why? Because now they are admitting finally, after two years, that inflation is not as transitory as they thought it to be. What causes inflation yes. inherently? Is it government decisions? Well, there are, that's a good question, actually. There are a couple of forces. One is, of course, government decision, because if the number, amount of goods and services in your economy is the same, but uh, let's say you are increasing this uh, supply of money, then more money is chasing the same amount of goods and services. So logically, more money will be needed to be exchanged for the same amount of goods, right? And that is inflation. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you're absolutely right on that. But there are some other reasons, some other root causes. Why are the governments having to do it? Uh, so to understand those, I think some uh, some readings of uh, the history of political economics uh, will become very relevant. Mm -hmm. And um, let me give another another uh, uh, hidden force that uh, many of us don't see. One such hidden force is demographic. So I can give you an example, uh, starting from Second World War, right? Right after the Second World War, uh, the soldiers who came back from Second World War, dodging bullets, getting a second chance to life, they had a huge passion for life. They wanted family, they wanted children, they had a lot of children. So between 1945, the end of Second World War, and 1965, in these 20 years, population and Canadian population increased almost by 40%. Interesting. Can you imagine? Wow. Imagine that in a 20-year window, you are letting immigrants to get into your country who are almost half of the existing population, what would happen to labor market, right? Yeah. Would skyrocket. Labor market would have way too many people and this way too many people would then start uh, demanding lots of goods and services. In seventies, when these baby boomers were adults and starting to join labor force, we saw huge uh, uprise of inflation. All right. Mm -hmm. And we also saw huge stagnation of wages because when there is too many workers looking for jobs, no employer uh, would need to give them any raise in wages because there is ample supply of workers. Right. So during that time, what happened was this baby boom generation, they were not being able to fulfill their dream uh, of having home and having uh, building their personal wealth. During that time, USA in 1971 was also able to get out of the gold standard system, right? And that is one of the very big uh, crucial moment where the general trend of inflation all over the Western world started. Before 1971, 
if you printed more money as a government, I know that central bank prints money, not the government, but you know what? Central bank is really, really dominated by government. So let's just, mm -hmm. for simplicity, say that government prints the money. Uh, in fact, what, what they do is uh, government just uh, borrows money from central bank, but think of central bank as the right hand of government. Prior to 1971, if you wanted to print more money, your currency's value against other in, uh, foreign currencies would devalue, all right? Yeah, that's for sure. And under Goldstone system, you you are committed to keep your money money supply more or less fixed, all right? Not absolutely fixed, but very, very uh, limited. So after 71, USA got this golden opportunity, all right? Uh, by, by making the whole currency system a fiat system. And that meant that politicians can print more money to satisfy the dreams of uh, these young baby boomers or print more money to um, pay for their healthcare commitments, retirement commitments, etc. So since that time, notice that this demographic push had also uh, had something to do with this uh, inflationary uh, phenomena. During those times, government felt this pressure to just... Uh, print more money. And since 1975, just because fiat money is such a convenient thing, because you just need a printing machine, all right? You don't need gold reserve anymore. Then uh, easy money was getting printed and big investment bankers, they were close friends of uh, governments and former government officials got uh, revolving door employments in these uh, investment banks. So they just uh, figured that how about we just keep printing money and we'll just uh, give this money as loans to um, investment banks and other commercial banks at very low interest rates. And they will use this money uh, to lend to these baby boom generations because their wages are low, uh, but there's another way to make them rich. We can lend them money so that they can buy a house. We can lend them money so, so that they can buy cars. So this started a vicious spiral of more money borrowing. Right. And we're still in the spiral today. That spiral was going on and on. And we are at a uh, stage where we have hyper-financialized uh, all sorts of assets in our, in our economy. For example, before 1970s, when somebody bought a house, they would buy a house to raise their family and live in it for the rest of their lives, maybe, all right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> today, today, if you look at a house, um, a house is a financial asset. And in many occasions, people are buying house or uh, even hedge funds are now buying houses, all right? By the way, in Canada and USA, one very sad thing started happening after 2020 uh, that if you want to buy a house in many big cities, you have to now compete with not household home buyers, but other uh, hedge funds yeah. who are borrowing millions of dollars from banks and trying to buy an entire neighborhood of houses so that they can generate rental income as, as, an, as an investment. That is sad. So this hyper-financialization has been going on because of this... Um, uh, easy printing machines we had well it's always and very interesting to see how macro it, it's it is fascinating yeah it is fascinating especially for usa dollar doesn't lose its value mm -hmm. right because dollar is the global reserve currency as personal investors um 
what can we do to address these problems and not be impacted by the debt or inflation personally? For that question, I actually have a very simple answer. Most important thing that we need to do is to find a good career, all right? So that we always have a stable flow of income. If you have that, then you are safe. Mm -hmm. And after that, after that, if you ask me, okay, I already know how to find a good job and um, I have my um, future flow of uh, income and I'm just saving, keeping my money in bank and in my bank, uh, I'm getting an interest payment of 0.25%, whereas inflation is going at 7%, eating the value of my money, and whereas home prices are increasing at 25% or 20%. So if you really figure that, well, you have cash and your cash is now becoming trash, then I think at, at this particular moment, one good thing is to educate yourself about how to invest in a diversified pool of assets in a safe way. Because as I mentioned earlier, in the next 10 to 15 years, we'll go through these pendulum swings between occasional inflation and then deflation. Right. And then the moment we get into deflation, people will get panicked. They will start selling off their assets. Okay. Mm -hmm. And whenever people get panicked, central banks will again have to just uh, open the floodgates of money because they cannot let this financial market totally collapse because if the financial markets collapse millions of people's pensions are dependent on this uh, on these markets yeah the whole economy's confidence productivity is based on now now based on this financial market wow. it was not supposed to be this way the financial market was supposed to follow the real economy's health how productive the economy is based on that expectations on the financial market, which means these companies' shares, these uh, land or uh, home values was supposed to be formed. And now everything went upside down. Now the financial market is uh, leading how confident we'll be about the whole economy's productivity. Right. So if you don't situation. want the market to take advantage of us, we have to get a reasonable uh, flow of income and afterwards try to uh, take advantage, I guess, of uh, of um, exponential growth through uh, assets, if I understand correctly? Yes, through a uh, diversified pool of uh, investment, but personally not qualified to give any financial advice as regarding to these um, financial assets. Uh, mm -hmm. What I, for myself, if you ask me that, well, uh, Faisal, what are you doing to save yourself? <laughs> because I also don't own a house. What I want to do at this moment is even though I know that uh, in the next 10, 15 years, um, cash is going to lose a lot of value, but I still want to hold some cash. If I get a, a good chance, even if home price is very expensive, I will try to buy a house because you know what? These stocks, all these um, uh, bonds markets, etc. When you buy these assets, these are pieces of papers until you sell them. But if you buy a piece of land, if you buy a house, that is that's why they are called real estate, right? They are real um, assets. If everything goes down, you will have a roof over your head, right? right yeah. So I would just uh, think um, simply 
and try to do the most important things that uh, first I, I need to take care of my career, the future flow of stable income. And you know what? If inflation increases, chances are your employers will also adjust your salaries. Okay? Mm -hmm. So your salary will also increase even though your salary will increase at the CPI inflation, the consumer price, and that 5%, 7% rate, your salary will not increase at that 20% home price inflation. So that's a bummer. But even then, it's better than nothing, right? For sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And if you want to uh, be serious about uh, putting money in financial markets, then uh, it's a very good idea to talk to financial advisors, uh, maybe uh, by walking into your bank, you don't have to trust them, you don't have to give all your money to them, but they will be able to educate you. And in the meantime, if you read a little bit of uh, history of political economics, um, that will also help and financial markets. There are, fortunately, there are lots of very good sources today, uh, thanks to all this social media, Twitter, you can figure out uh, the, uh, or access the most reputable authors' uh, writings and speeches on YouTube and Twitter and uh, LinkedIn, etc. For example, uh, people like, let's say, Ray Dalio, uh, people like uh, Lynn Alden, people like um, Stan Druckenmiller, mm -hmm. sometimes they give one hour of a speech and lots of things to be learned there, and, and they're not charging you much. And mm -hmm. if you want, uh, to get some good sources, uh, want me to give you some good sources to read or uh, to listen to. Definitely, I'll be able to help you, uh, at least to some extent. And, and through the sources, try to find a good learning community. There are so many communities for learning these days. And be careful. Some learning communities are good. Some learning communities will totally waste your time and brainwash you with all sorts of junks. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's important to important to find a good learning community where you keep on learning about these things and based on based on uh, the predictions of very well-renowned um, social scientists or engineers or well-reputed um, CEOs like Bill Gates for example right mm -hmm. they give a lot of predictions for example Bill, Bill Gates just wrote a book called uh, how to save the climate crisis save the world from climate crisis and in that book, give some predictions about the energy industry, all right? Mm -hmm. And and that would be an eye opener in terms of uh, your outlook about how to uh, sa save the world from climate change and what are the potential sectors that will probably shine in the next uh, five to six years in the ener energy sector, and then what can happen. Of course, there's no guarantee because nobody, nobody can tell what will happen in the future. But uh, people who are good at predicting uh, based on their experience, based on their analytics, they have a better chance of being right than other people, right? Yeah, obviously. Yeah. yeah. So okay. capacity for prediction is key to uh, success in the financial markets, I guess, because Things that are exactly. going to be yeah. valued more tomorrow or things that are going to grow. And, and that comes with technology too. So you have to have this big knowledge of economics and also of Definitely. how Definitely. things evolve in the human world. Definitely, yes. And I would, I would really, really urge you to just stay calm. Don't worry. We okay. live in a, uh, I told you earlier, we live in narrative economy. Stories are, are just... Uh, 
uh, impacting our behavior. There, there were uh, surveys done by a very famous economist, right? And um, that economist um, actually uh, rightly predicted, uh, his last name is Schiller, uh, Professor Robert Schiller. He rightly predicted the 2000s dot-com bubble burst, bubble. and he rightly predicted the 2007-2008 housing market collapse, right? He did some surveys, and based on his surveys, uh, his claim is that ordinary people don't know about this real rate of interest, inflation, uh, interest rate. They just uh, uh, take actions based on the narratives that uh, is brainwashing them, right? right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Example of the narratives, okay, people act upon the experiences that they observe about their neighbors, friends, relatives, brothers, um, uh, cousins, so on and so forth. Obviously, yeah. They are mostly influenced by uh, the success of their neighbors or other people getting rich by buying houses or stocks. Oh my God, now I have to buy. Or they are uh, motivated by uh, failure stories of other people. But whether other people are getting super rich or super poor. Right. We should be contrarians. And I guess this relates to the psychology of crowds, right? Like as humans, we tend exactly. to Very want good. to do what our neighbor does. We tend to, exactly. to follow the path that's already been uh, uh, set for us, exactly. right? And and so we, we have to, in that way, we have to be careful about the market sometimes when it's when the prices are super high, Definitely. Definitely. like today. You know the future, nobody knows, but from the past, evidence what we know when things go crazy when everybody talks about certain asset that is not a good sign uh, yeah. that's when the party is just going so well that um, somebody will collapse or uh, maybe um, the police will come <laughs> maybe basically we have to first see like the party in advance <laughs> uh, that's a good strategy of course and um very famous um, investors, right, such as Warren Buffett, such as, uh, let's say, uh, Kirill Sokolov, those kind of people, they are contrarians. Their idea is uh, be greedy when everybody else is panicked, all right? Mm -hmm. When everything else collapsed. Uh, so, so, for example, I, I was listening to one um, uh, fund manager. She's quite well reputed. Her name is Lynn Alden. She was writing that, you know what, uh, there's a uh, technology fund called ARC um, Innovation. So this fund is managed by a, another famous um, fund manager called uh, Kathy Woods. And ARC Innovation uh, ETF was rising astonishingly fast pace. However, for the past about a month or two, um, there has been some corrections in the stock market. The uh, it, it occurs that the technology sector and uh, innovation sector, they got over-invested and now they're going down again. Mm -hmm. So what Lee Nolan was saying that ARK Invest has lost 50% of its value and the media is talking so much bad about it, but it is not actually a bad asset. When things collapse totally, if ARK Invest innovation ETF is uh, decimated, then I will jump onto it. I'll find some uh, um, uh, treasures in it. And uh, that's how contrarian investors actually work. Uh, when everything collapses, 
that's when they become the vulture to leave off the fat of the dead. Mm -hmm. What is an ETF exactly? ETF stands for Exchange Traded Funds. What ETF creators do is they take about, let's say, 20, 50, or 100 different companies, a bunch of those different companies' stocks, all right, and bundle them up. And then they share uh, sell shares of that entire bundle to the public. So if you buy one ETF of, let's say, ARK Innovation, let's say you bought $100 of uh, one uh, share of ARK ETF, that means your $100 would be then uh, equally divided into about 50, 60 companies that are in that bundle of stocks that ARK ETF bought. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is a relatively easy, um, diversi- uh, safe, diversified way to invest. Because if you think that technology is changing exponentially and therefore, and we know that software is going to eat the world and AI is rising, so maybe 10 years from now, these technology companies will be so much more valuable. So I want to invest in this technology and innovation. Right. One safe bet uh, to take would be Instead of buying a single company's stock uh, for $100, you just buy $100 worth of uh, one ARK uh, ETF. In that way, your $100 is actually invested in uh, 50, 60, 70, whichever company's stocks were bought by the ARK Innovation ETF creator in that basket. Right, yeah. Makes so basically, sense. ETFs make for uh, a safer investment, so you don't have to rely on a single yeah. company. And yeah, they are relatively collapses, then yes. Like they are less, they are less likely to collapse because one individual, yeah, if one individual uh, um, company has some chance of collapsing uh, on a fine mor- morning, uh, fifty companies falling at the same time, it's much less likely than that. Since it is safe, right? So notice that ETF is very similar to mutual funds because if you put your money in mutual fund investments, mm-hmm. mutual fund managers also take your money. Mm-hmm. and uh, spread your money across hundreds of different uh, companies, stocks, yeah. uh, bonds, etc. Mm-hmm. Interesting. The only difference between ETF and mutual funds is that ETF, you can buy and sell like stocks from the stock market. So you, you can buy an ETF today and sell it tomorrow in the stock market. Mutual fund, you just buy, but in the stock market, you, you cannot uh, buy, buy and sell it. Sell it. Yeah, makes sense. Well, Professor Ravi, it has been a very, very, very enjoyable conversation with you. Um, Usually in our podcast, what we do is we ask one last question to all our guest speakers before wrapping this up. And so I'll be asking you this question. You might have already have touched on it, but um, what is the number one advice? It doesn't have to be uh, financial or anything, really in general in life. What is the number one advice you would give to younger people who want to succeed, basically? Uh, Let me put it this way. If I wanted to advise myself today, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, then maybe I would just advise myself. Um, uh, I probably ask myself to do the same thing that I asked you that make sure you have a steady flow of income when, you, uh, when you're in the job market and keeping that goal in mind but also ask myself to be able to focus well on what I am doing. If I'm studying, 
uh, I would advise myself to be able to focus on my studies right. because I really feel sympathetic for your generation uh, due to the fact that you have way too many distractions of social media. Mm-hmm. That's true. Back in the, let's say, early 2000 when we were studying uh, for graduate schools, we just had um, YouTube and Napster. You have dozens of much more exciting social media. And I, I am guessing, I might be completely wrong, but I'm guessing that maybe in the next 15, 20 years, people who learn the skill to focus and pay attention, be present in what they're doing and do well, will be on the average much more successful than people who are distracted. Because this, this social media is hacking our brain and it's taking away it is so sneaky, it's just taking away hours and hours of our life every day. Right. Very eloquent re- answer. And basically, in our introduction, uh, Wadi and I were asking ourselves the, the, the same question. Uh, what would we uh, give an, as an advice to the younger generation? And my response was, get rid of social media. And I'm, I'm really happy that it's your response to uh, Mr. Rabi. Well, well, you, uh, yeah, you sound very wise. Even though uh, these are all our current convictions, whatever if you call it advice uh, uh, maybe just look at it as an advice that i'm giving to myself all the things that we discussed all the opinions we express these will evolve because these are our conviction based on whatever knowledge we acquired up to today right and in in future situations will change and we'll keep on reading more and our uh, convictions will change, right? Exactly. And that I think that's a fun journey. I feel extremely lucky that I will probably be alive to see the next uh, 15, 20 years of this world. And um, uh, Lenin once told that sometimes there are decades when nothing much happens, but sometimes there are weeks where decades happen. Mm-hmm. It's funny to hear an economist quote Lenin. <laughs> yeah, actually, I um, and, and maybe we can talk about later on why I'm, I'm quoting Lenin, um, why I'm not not so much against communism, because there is some perverse idea of capitalism in this Western world. But I am guessing from my very little knowledge is that uh, in these coming decade or so, a century might happen, because I see so many very immensely strong undercurrent they're almost invisible to you and i but they're in working and they will just cause big resets in this entire world and it will be super interesting to to watch and it will be it'll be better than any thriller movie that i have watched in my life oh i'm very excited i'm excited i'm just excited to be alive so thank you so much (laughs) professor ravi um thank you for coming today and i'm hoping we'll see you again in another episode Thanks for having me. Thank you. Yeah, this sounds the show very well. Thank you very much, sir, Professor Rabi. My pleasure. Thank you all for watching. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and our discussion with Professor Faisal Rabi. Stay tuned for our next episode on the Spark.